He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not, know, did, did, did you not sow good weed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do, then do what you want to go and gather them. But he said, no less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And starting in verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The, men who, the, the, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of this age, and the reapers are angels." Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send the angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let them hear. This is the gospel of our Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be preached and would be understood. We thank you for um, giving us your word, uh, even when it needs to be explained to us and understood uh, in deeper ways. I pray that you would be with me. May my words um, be your words and be spoken clearly to your people this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So have you ever looked at a situation and assumed that the leadership didn't care or uh, didn't realize what was going on, maybe wasn't intimately involved with, with what was happening, and maybe even didn't have the people's best uh, in, in, in their plans? Well, I wanted us to take a trip this morning to Hogwarts, uh, the magical land that J.K. Rowling um, put onto paper in seven books, and slight spoiler alert here, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the books, but they've been out for 20 years, so I feel like I'm well within the time frame to be able to share this with you. Um, so think of it this way, the houses are determined by what appears to be luck, right? There's this magical hat that, that lands on each person's head and determines which house they belong to, one of these four houses. Then every single school year, there are these characters, uh, many of whom are teachers and have authority, uh, who plan ill for Harry Potter and his friends. So the good guys are um, in, in a tough situation every time. Then the good guys, the characters, are severely flawed. Each person has some unresolved issues, and every book kind of ends on this unresolved uh, picture. And if you hop into particular parts of the book, one of the most disconcerting things is that the headmaster of the school, Dumbledore, 
just seems aloof and disconnected to all the trials and the troubles that are happening for the good guys, for the, for the school even. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get that feeling about God, that God is far off, that he feels aloof. And it makes me question, does he truly understand the pain and sorrow that I'm dealing with or that people uh, deal with right now? Does he even know everything that's going on, and is he aware of it? And that's really the challenge of Matthew chapter 13, we're going to be talking about, is to know, uh, first of all, that, that God is with us, but, but also for, for Jesus to state clearly that the church is made up of both righteous and unrighteous people, that there are those who truly love God and follow him, and there are bad actors who are in the, the church. And this causes all sorts of trouble for Christians. Uh, in fact, in my work at UTSA with college students, it's one of the big questions that, that students have. Who can I truly trust in the church? And how could I even trust anyone? And so going into texts like this uh, become even more complicated because it's as though Jesus is saying there's really nobody who we can fully trust. We don't know if they're a part of the righteous. But rather than considering this question of who we can fully trust and really being uh, complicated, complicating things even more, I want us to be encouraged by the fact that we have a God who is fully in control, that he knows our hearts, he knows the hearts of his people, and he loves them. Um, And then he also longs for a day where there is judgment to come. And there is actually a hopeful view of judgment that he gives here. So two things I want us to consider this morning is the almighty presence of our God. And then second, the non-anxious judgment of our God. The almighty presence of our God and the non-anxious judgments of our God. First one, the almighty presence of our God. And I want really to turn our attention away from cynicism of assuming that things aren't all good, to really understanding and really getting a grasp of God the Father Almighty. That's a word that, that, that that's a phrase that we're going to say a little bit later when we recite the Nicene Creed, and it's something that I'm looking forward to teaching as I'm going through the Apostles' Creed with students this fall at UTSA, and it really helps us understand who this God is. It's part of our ancient creeds that are said around the world. We're said this morning, in fact, in all parts of this world. And it helps us to see that God is God and he has dominion and authority, reign and rule over the world. That he does all of it, that he keeps it going, that he is God. And the best way uh, for us to understand it uh, in the immediate sense is that he wills what he wills. What he desires to have happen will happen. And so let's consider the nature of God Almighty um, and consider even a response that we might have. So looking at our Old Testament lectionary readings, we actually have great comfort here. Uh, From Isaiah 44, 6 through 8, we are reminded that there is none like God, that he is everlasting, that he that, that there is no one above him or beside him. And then in verse 8, we are given this common repeated phrase in the Bible, 
fear not. Fear not. Even as this God is almighty and that he is great and there is none like him, we should not fear. And then we are even re- there's a re-emphasis of this comfort that he gives us. He says, nor be afraid, for I have told you from of old that I have declared it. But then there's this encouragement to us. And you are my witnesses. You are those that witness and get to participate in this almighty nature. And is there any God beside me, he says. There is no rock I know not of any. In this understanding, God Almighty reigns and his truth is there and we can partake and enjoy and bask in the beauty of who he is. We are his people and thus we can be faithful in that. And then Psalm 19 picks up on this idea of faithfulness in verses uh, 57 through 64 where he says, The Lord is my portion. And then this encouragement, Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. We know that God is almighty, and we are not. We look at his law knowing that his heart is upon that. That he teaches us not simply to act the right way, which is good and right for us, but also to know him and to know that in in spite of the disorder and corruption and chaos that may be going all around us, Even in this church, we can look to God alone and find comfort. Most common complaint I hear from students uh, that I work with at UTSA, but then even at UCF where I was before, is that church isn't a safe place. And in some ways, this is a a Gen Z, uh, this is Gen Z terminology that comes out. But there's also this sense that they have experienced some bad things or experienced some things that haven't uh, been right. Um, and in fact, church scandals are some of the most salacious things to report. They, they, you know, get broadcasted all over the place. And so, is there any hope in organized Christian religion? I'm not simply saying uh, a church itself, but should we even gather together knowing that they can be places that can even be toxic? And the answer really is complicated because, as I've advised students, we have to hold these things in tension. Because Jesus' words, just a few chapters later, in Matthew 16, are true and right and such a comfort for us as we are in a church where he says, the gates of hell shall not overcome the church. That is good news for us, that it is good and right for us to gather together. And at the same time, there is no guarantee that the individual churches or that denominations will continue to last. That they, will, that they will be good and right, that they will be part of what is to come in the future. And that can be a little bit scary, right? To know that we don't have control of what is happening, to know that, uh, that the Lord knows what he is doing. Um, and even that there are bad people that can be part of the church. We're encouraged in Matthew chapter 13, where, where God says that we are the sons of the kingdom. Those good seeds that are planted where the wheat has grown up, there's so much encouragement there, but we also know that there are those who are weeds and that the devil has actually planted into the church. And so the question is, what do we do about that? Do we do anything? 
the Puritan New England churches, uh, what they did was a literal witch hunt where they tried to get out anyone that was evil and bad and part of, um, part of the, the, the church that was not actually faithful to him. Um, and honestly, this is not the best approach, and it's not even prescriptive of what Jesus has called us. Now, a caveat to that is that the church ought to have safeguards where there are those who either, you know, profess something that's different or who are teaching something outright wrong where they should be removed. So we have those safeguards in place, fortunately, in our churches. But ultimately, what this helps us to see is that we do not have control. We do not have control even of our own churches. And that even though Christianity has been around for almost 2,000 years, there is still false teaching. There are still false teachers, and there are still churches that are preaching like the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that are growing and have more influence than we do. And so it's really discouraging unless we understand that God is in control and that he rules and he reigns and he knows what is next. It's been a little bit unnerving. I'm about to turn 40 next month. Um, which is probably young for some of you, but it's been a little bit unnerving to know and to be reminded that I have no control over what's happening next. Um, I'm welcoming in a freshman class to UTSA, and I honestly don't know who's going to come, who's going to stick around, who's going to be part of our ministry. And yet this week, it's been an encouragement to know that God is the one who is reigning and ruling. And that he is the one that I trust in. And he is the one, and, and we even say this all the time in RUF, that God is at work. And it's even had a bigger uh, feel this week as I've studied this and as I've been encouraged that God is the one that continues to move things along. He is, he is good and he is almighty. So that's the, that's the first idea is that God almighty is who we put our trust and our faith in. The second is the non-anxious judgment of God. And I'm borrowing that language, I'll, I'll just tell you, from psychology, this idea of counselors or those who are therapeutic as being non-judgmental, uh, or non-anxious, excuse me. And, um, but, but I think that God in his presence, and Jesus in particular in Matthew 13, shows us this in such a beautiful way. He is not hasty to deal with the weeds, he uh, simply says that final judgment will make all things right. And so there's a ton of hope in this because of those who we might know that do not profess Jesus or those who we might know who are in churches and they don't truly believe in the gospel, that there is still an opportunity. And also that God might, uh, m might be uh, withholding his judgment on those whom he loves. So God's judgment of the wor world will happen in order to make things right, and it is, uh, it, it is his opportunity to show off his holiness to the world, to make all things new. He will execute this judgment for the good of all those who love him. When the parable is explained here in the second part of Matthew chapter 13, we can see that the judgment is on behalf of those whom he loves and who love him as well. Verse 43 says it this way, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, that they 
will finally, maybe, for the first time, be able to shine. Uh, one of the things that can be really discouraging is how Christians are pushed down in society and aren't made to be, um, aren't made to be the stars or aren't made to, to be really important. And the early Christians knew this very well. I mean, for about 300 years, Christianity was not even legal in the Roman Empire. And yet, the Lord continued to use His people, and His Spirit was active. Uh, it's something that I get to participate in as we have students from all around the world, and we have a Nigerian Christian who's part of our ministry to see that God's Spirit was active even in a continent really, really far away uh, to use uh, and use His Spirit to bring, um, to bring students even to our midst in San Antonio. And the church can even be an incredible place of confusion. Uh, today, there's even a lot of confusion on what the individual is or uh, what gender is. We're seeing it even with mental health issues. Uh, is it mental health or is it something else? And these are all questions that, and even many more that we have, that fall under this category for us to know that we have a non-anxious God who knows that these things are happening, but does not uh, desire to just eliminate us. He's a great encouragement and example for us, too, to consider being non-anxious about all of the things that are happening in our world. And then Romans 8, uh, as we read earlier, gives us a beautiful picture of what it means to follow Jesus, and even a greater emphasis, I think, on being non-anxious, where he says that the suffering that we occur right now, that is happening right now, is nothing compared to the glory to come. That these sufferings that we deal with, as, as difficult as they are, first of all, God knows that they are hard, but he longs for us uh, to, to long for what is to come. I love what the fourth century pastor Gregory of Nyssa said when he said it this way. He said, the divine judgment does not primarily bring punishment on sinners, which that in and of itself is very, very strange sounding. He says it operates only by separating good from evil and pulling the soul toward communion and blessedness. It is the tearing apart of what has grown together which brings pain in the one who is being pulled. And what he's saying is this, that there is a tension that we live in in the church, as I mentioned earlier. Those who are faithful know that this isn't the way that it's supposed to be, but there is a fuller communion that we experience upon the judgment of Christ. It's one of the beautiful things that, that we can be mindful of as we, uh, as we talk about the judgment of the living and the dead, that Christ actually brings us into wholeness into fuller communion with Him. Um, and those who aren't with Him are the ones that will be, will be pained as they are pulled away and pulled apart from Him. And so my encouragement to you guys uh, this morning is simply, and it really it sounds extremely simple, is to trust this God, to trust the Lord. This is, Jesus is such a better uh, Lord to trust in than secularism, than whatever your job might be, or, or anything else. And then secondly, also to know his scriptures, to be encouraged in what he has said here, both in the Psalms and in Isaiah, 
to look at uh, just the spectrum and how God uses his scriptures to help shape us and to know him um, and to be loved deeply. And then for us, out, out of that knowledge and out of that trust, to actually love people deeply. Um, one of the hallmarks of early Christians, and many Christians around a lot of different uh, periods of time, is how much they loved, how much they were willing to pick up orphans who were on the side of the road, um, how, how many of us are part of different things that are happening in, in our cities uh, to love one another. And then also to long for a better day, to long for a day where there is sweet communion between us and Christ, where we are not hindered by sin. Can you imagine not being hindered by sin, being able to fully worship God in spirit and in truth and having that full and rich communion with him? And so as we come to the table now, we know that Christ has won the victory, that he suffered on our behalf, that he was crucified on our behalf, uh, that he ascended on high, and that he is sitting at the Father, uh, and that, praise God, he is coming again. May from our lips we say the words, Christ, come quickly. We need you, and yet we long for him to continue his work in and through us today. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for our time um, to look at you as God Almighty. Um, we thank you for the way that you um, are coming to bring judgment, um, even though it might not sit well with us um, and it might not seem fair. Lord, you are bringing about your justice, um, and we trust in you and know that you are a good and trustworthy God. Thank you for uh, leading us to your table where we can be fed by you uh, this, this morning. Thank you for our time. Um, we trust that you uh, are glorified here. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.